And my name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. to another episode of the show. It's great to have you here with us. It is sunny here in the Sonoran, and uh, that means that uh, spring feels sort of like it slipped right by, and we went straight to summer. Our guests this week on the show are Pino Palladino and Blake Mills. They've got a new album out now called Notes with Attachments. It's mind-bending. It's really incredible stuff. This sort of It's hard to even try to put it in a genre box, so I won't try very much. Uh, Let's just take a little listen to it. Pino Palladino is a truly remarkable bassist. You can hear his work on so many recordings. That's him on D'Angelo's Voodoo. Uh, He's done lots of work with D'Angelo and uh, other... Soulquarian, sort of neo soul acts uh, in the early 2000s. He's also worked with The Who, Nine Inch Nails, and so many others. Blake Mills, his partner on this record, is a producer whose work uh, you can hear with artists like Perfume Genius, and uh, he's on a Bob Dylan record, you know, so no slouch when it comes to the credits. And he's, of course, got his own great albums. Mutable Set came out last year, and that was a, a true. That was a really beautiful one, and, and, and I'd like to recommend his 2018 EP, Look, which is more ambient or, or even sort of new age leaning, uh, just for a sense of his breath. He's the guy that all the classic rock guys want on their record, but so do really adventurous new, new artists, and uh, it makes sense. These two both approach music from very specific angles. And it was a true treat to get together with them and explore uh, explore the pathways. Before we get into the talk, I want to encourage you to head over, check out our Patreon. We're in the midst of putting together Aquarium Drunkard's first journal. It's going to be a print journal. Uh, there's all sorts of great bonus audio stuff for you there. Some more bonus podcast stuff coming as well. So if you want to support what we do at Aquarium Drunkard, Checking us out on Patreon is the way to go. If you want to support Transmissions uh, just simply by taking a few minutes, uh, you could leave us a rating and a review uh, or share this link on social media. Let people know that they can get Transmissions wherever they listen to podcasts and, of course, always directly at Aquarium Drunker. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Blake Mills, Pino Palladino. This is Notes on Notes on Attachments. You're listening to Transmissions. It's great to have you here with us. Pino, Blake, Notes with Attachment has been doing an incredible job rearranging the contents of my head uh, for the (laughs) last 
couple of weeks. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here to discuss it on Transmissions. It's a real honor to have you both. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. I wanted to start off by asking you, uh, you know, when you, when you make an album that's credited to two people, uh, it's obviously signifies a sort of meeting of the minds. So I wondered if you two were forced to come up with an album uh, together, you have to pick one album, the both of you, that sort of sums up sort of a perfect vibe on an album uh, where your guys' heads might go or where they did go when you were preparing to make this one. Meaning referencing an, another record that sure that sort of embodies a, a partnership in that way? Yeah, or, ju- or, or, or even just between the two of us, we both are obsessed with this one record. You know what I mean? Right. Hmm. Probably not from from my standpoint. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we. I mean, I think like, <clears throat> I think we have a lot of common commonalities. Like we have a lot of common references, uh, music that that has touched us both. Um, but I don't know if any of that is necessary. Like any of the records that that as I was growing up were like the benchmarks for me or things that were pivotal you know, obsessions, uh, would necessarily, uh, be the same things that, that were that for, for you, Pino, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we do have, um, kind of different reference points, um, probably in music. Yeah. From different, um, you know, eras too, in, in a way, because uh, I'm older than you and grew up with different sort of, um, reference points, as I say, but I think we couldn't have planned really, for the album to have um, uh, uh, worked out so well, really, from that perspective. It, it's the kind of thing that just happens, you know, as you start making the record. Blake, you've obviously produced a lot of records. Pino, you've played on a lot of people's records. But, but Blake, when you, when you, you know, got involved with this project, did you have a quality or a mood that you felt like you wanted to accentuate uh with this or or was the record more a process of the two of you getting together and sort of figuring out you know in a more open-ended fashion what this stuff might might look like sound Mm -hmm. like much more the latter yeah much more the latter i mean the 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 uh when i first started working on this material with pino uh, the idea for uh the idea of what kind of an album it was going to be was if anything influenced by it being a Pino Palladino solo record, it was not initially a collaborative project uh, in that way, you know, in terms of the, the writing or the, the, the voice of the record, the sound of the record. Um, none of that had really been figured out yet. And the one thing that's interesting about this record is that from track to track, the genesis of what's on there uh, can be so different from one thing to the next. Like some of the songs on the record are things that we, uh, all of the performances were things that we recorded uh, from scratch, you know, other things they're they're The track is built around performances that have existed for a decade in some cases. So um, the sound of the record was not something premeditated um at all it, it couldn't have been because it it was sort of like a um it's it's the, the record's more of like a library in a way 
know? Yeah. Pino, so a lot yeah. of this was built on stuff that you had archived for, for quite a while, right? Stuff going back even as far as a couple decades in some cases? Yeah, yeah, in one particular song, um, Soundwalk, yeah, absolutely. That that had been around for quite a while, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I read that you that was like a, an idea that you had sort of <clears throat> banked while on tour with D'Angelo in, in like 2000. Uh, had, you know, you've obviously, you've been playing music for a long time. Uh, I'm sure you'd been asked to do a solo record at one point or another, or if you wanted to do one. Uh, what made this feel like now's the time to, to, to go in this direction? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a question I have been asked over many years, yeah. Um, and it's something that's always, uh, you know, been on my radar, so to speak. And, you know, I, I've thought about it a lot lately, and I think the simple answer is just that I was just so lucky to be so busy all this time. I, I literally have not stopped since the early 80s. Um, with recording, you know, sort of studio recordings and touring and... Um, you know, being kind of a permanent member of certain bands, touring, touring bands. And it just rolled and rolled and rolled. And there never really seemed to be a, a, a big enough period of time where I thought I could devote it to doing a solo record. Um, and, and I'm a believer, I'm a big believer in, in, in sort of fate and, and uh, the way that things just lead you, you know, you follow certain paths and you make certain instinctive decisions. Um, so I've never really pushed myself to make a solo record. Uh, it's really all about the timing. It just felt it felt like a good time. And um, and once um, me and Blake started talking about the possibility, that really started being an, an exciting prospect to me. And it just felt right. What what did the process look like? I mean, because in, in terms of you'd kept track of some certain melodic ideas, song ideas, certain structures, some of the stuff you'd gone out and played live, um, or at least ver earlier versions of, uh, what did the process of going through the stuff you'd saved with Blake look like? Uh, really just playing Blake some ideas in, in whatever form they were in. Um, some, actually most of them were, were, were you know, we could access the stems so that we, we had control over, like, uh, how, how many mics there were in a drum kit and, um, you know, in a bass guitar stem and maybe some guitar stem. So just a regular sort of thing, really. Um, yeah, except for, for Soundwalk, um, which was just an MP3. How do, how, did you, how do you both keep track of, of your ideas? Obviously, now that we've got iPhone voice memos, you can whip that out and have a uh, you know documentation of a of an idea but but you know previously if we're talking you know up to you know 20 something years ago uh how, how did you keep track of stuff well back in those days <laughs> it was cassettes and uh mini discs and and dats you know you put stuff onto onto a dat that was the best quality yeah back then. yeah and, and now it's just hard drives, same as everyone. You just got, well, you just keep so much stuff, right? That's the thing. Well, right, right. Do you feel, Blake, when you were listening through that stuff, what struck you about, about what you were hearing? And how did it sort of uh, start to uh, kind of point the way forward for what you guys ended up doing on this album? I think what struck me was um, what, what usually piques my interest about uh, another person's music and, and makes me 
want to um, work on that with them is that the music has some kind of a unique perspective. Um, and in the case with Pino, a lot of the stuff was was that the 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 timing and the tonality and structure or in some cases like lack of structure and just sort of like the hypnotic relentlessness of a groove and, and what that does to your brain over time, just like hearing musicians play like that. Um, I was, I was really struck by how much of a, the personality of the musicians was coming through and all these ideas. Sometimes it was just Pino, you know, on a track, it'd be like six different bass guitar parts, you know, and, and, but, yeah, the, right. but the way that you, Pino, that you would arrange those parts and voice those parts um, was, there's a lot of thought in that or, or just a lot of instinct, you know, personality in that. And, uh, and, so I just wanted to be around it. I just wanted to be involved in, in, in that music and, and, and the discovery of that is so rewarding for a listener for anybody. So um, I, I was just happy to, to, to just participate. It, it sounds to me like this record, it's certainly fun to listen to uh, like exceptionally fun. It sounds like the sort of thing that, um, you both work on other people's records and in a lot of individual contexts. Um, but, but was there something about this project that it felt like you both had sort of free license to lean into those idiosyncrasies and those eccentricities of, of the sort of, um, that personality that you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. And like also, yeah, it was very uh, free, right? I mean, we never really had time constraints. Um, and we never put constraints on on the music at all. I mean, we, we let it follow its path a lot of the time. So that's an unusual um, luxury yeah. to be afforded. And there's extra space uh, in the absence of a vocal or vocalist. And, and like the space that that takes up, not only in a, in a, a mix, but also in your sort of like processing space, like as a listener, you're, you're processing language and, and somebody's voice, the, there's there's a lot of information that comes through through a vocal so when that's gone you've got all this room and when you have musicians who are able to occupy that space and and fill it up with with things like i was saying like with the with, with personality in their performances um i think i think you do have something that feels like it's got uh uh it's just a fun listen it's, it, you hear people uh uh um you hear you hear all the people involved just sort of having a go. Yeah, I mean that's that comes through. It's it it it's it's such a character filled album. Um, and and you can hear. I mean, and everybody's playing. You know, you mentioned the absence of vocals, and there are certainly times where like Sam's saxophones will sort of feel almost like a lead vocal. But but at what point did the two of you realize that you didn't want any, any vocalists on this? Blake, you sing, uh, Pino, I don't know if I've ever heard you, you sing, but I, you know, I'm sure you, you, you can sing as well. How did you come to the, the conclusion, you know, this is, this is going to be purely instrumental. Uh, again, that was just, uh, as the record evolved, um, we, we were in, while we were in the process of recording it, we were discussing, 
at various times um, having you know a guest vocalist or at least some vocal sounds um, or, or possibly a rapper or spoken word or j just having the sound of, of humans you know <laughs> actually speaking or singing but but as we got into it it it, it never really worked out schedule wise when we whenever we tried to do something nothing really came together and um, as I say as it evolved I think really towards the last sort of quarter of the record it, it, it dawned on both of us that it was just going to be really cool to have um, an instrumental record you know purely instrumental yeah there might be some studio chatter on it I think I noted that, that you might hear a few uh, errant you know vocals in that in that regard but yeah. other than that yeah <laughs> yeah did I, you oh I was going to say I, I think we the process for a lot of the, the, the arranging was like seeing how far we could push something, how many, how, how much it could hold. And so we would, we would play all kinds of ideas that as soon as we listened back to it, we would go, yeah, it doesn't need it. doesn't need it. And I think as we were working on the record and considering uh, or asking ourselves, like, does, does any of this need vocals? Like, is there a song that we might, you know, we might be overlooking and that we should have vocals on it and it'll help it. And I think ultimately, as Pina said, once we got to that, that sort of uh, final lap, we we allowed ourselves to to just kind of go with the instinct that we had all along, which was like maybe this is fine. It doesn't need it. Maybe this this can survive as a an instrumental project. Yeah, yeah. There's. I mean, I I I was thinking about how one of the things that strikes me about the record is that it's it's like thirty one minutes long, so it's a very it's a very compact uh, sort of statement in in that regard. When you think about how many ideas are explored in that thirty one minutes, it's it's almost mind bending. But I have to imagine that between the two of you, there was also a decision to edit these things down and get them into a, a shape where this was going to feel, you know, like a like almost like a true statement of of a record you know but but not one that uh goes on for for a super long time i keep thinking about that that new mad lib fortet record i don't know if you guys have heard that i think it's like 40 minutes you know and it's like a perfect beginning middle end thing and your guys's record has that as well was there a lot of chopping down and a lot of flipping and a lot of sort of like let's get to the to the core of this groove for two minutes and then we're going to move on to another idea. I don't, I don't think yes. there's like a, a lot of, um, we don't have a, a firm sense of like how long, like how long should this song be while we're working on it? We're not, we're, I don't think we ever discussed like, you know, this, no. this one, <laughs> this one could go on for six minutes. You know, there wasn't, in those terms, I we didn't talk about it, but but in terms of a natural sort of uh, satiating arrangement, you know, like do we want to return to this section? Do we want to? Uh, do we need to write a bridge? Does this need anything else? You know, again, I, I think that was more along the lines of how we would navigate through this stuff. Would you say, Pina? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in my mind. I've always, I always like sort of watertight arrangements and, and I don't like to carry extra luggage in song, you know, it's just like the bits that, that are really fun to listen to, you're honing on those and 
on if they like some songs we did cut down considerably. Um, and I think that's it's a combination of both of our tastes. Um, you know, what you hear as a final result is that really. It's down to taste more than anything because there were numerous things we tried and, um, and numerous choices made. Uh, and, and that's what defines the record. In the end. What, at what stage in the collaboration did the two of you realize, oh, we're, we're working on a duo album. We're going to sort of have co, co-authorship of this. Pretty early. Yeah, I think as soon as we uh, probably it, the first song we worked on was was Akute, and um, and it became obvious to me anyway that that um, you know what Blake was bringing to the record, um, it it just meant that it had to be a collaboration. What what uh what kind of stuff was he bringing to that first meeting that that sort of made that light bulb go off in your head? Yeah, a bunch of things. Um, you know, just his musical comp- contribution to that song is, is pretty major, you know, and um, and then having time to, that was the first song we kind of messed with um, in a studio and, and tore it apart a little bit, deconstructed it. The whole process was um, was really fun and, and, and some of the choices that, that Blake um, would point out to me were things that I was feeling mm. anyway. Um, so... It was never like, oh, I don't know about that. It was always like, wow, that's cool, that's interesting. Um, it just felt, it just felt very natural um, working with Blake and, and very comfortable straight away. Um, and I think we hear, we hear things in a similar way in terms of harmony and rhythm yeah, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I can really get picky about, you know, the notes I want included in the chord and the, the timing and the, the way it sits in the groove, and um, and Blake can hear that to the same extent that, that, that I hear it. And, and that's not, you know, that's unusual. That, that sense of, of uh, really unique and also really interesting sort of timing choices seems very key to both of your, your recorded work. You, you guys met working on, on a, a John Legend record, is that correct? Yeah. And yeah. then you two continued. Uh, you we work on the the uh, the last Perf- Perfume Genius record, which is fantastic. In in those settings, when you guys were in in a in a room together working on music, was there uh, the sort of groundwork laid for what we hear on this record? Were you guys noticing, you know, in those earlier cases where, sure, you're there to work on somebody else's, you know, music, but those idiosyncrasies, did you guys start to pick up on certain, did you guys get on right away, you know, pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. I think on the John Legend record, that was the first time that uh, we ever got to be in a room. And, and, and I think for the most part, I was probably not performing live with you guys, with, with Pino and Chris on that record. I was, I was in on the other side of the glass for it, but, but there was a lot of, uh, premeditated thought going into what bass and drums were going to be doing <clears throat> on those tracks. And, and then a lot of time after the fact, you know, spent really considering, um, considering all of the little choices and tones and things uh, in bass world. And I, I think that might've been uh, unusual for, for, for Pino and certainly unusual for me but, but part of the design of that record and something that I just wanted to, to do when you have somebody with Pino's musicality um, to 
allow space for that on a on a quote unquote pop record i think it's like you know that's the that 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 was one of the biggest things that set that that music apart for me you know was getting getting to be able to work work with those guys on it and and uh and and hear how they how they would flip it on its head and maybe that those conversations about those parts on that record might have uh planted the seed for for you know our kind of back and forth our natural sort of uh um collaboration uh process that uh unravel you know like unfolded a bit more on on our record together sure yeah i mean for me i really enjoyed working on that record and i know the same for chris too we had a lot of fun working on the record and it's the kind of thing you just wanted to to, you just want to carry on making records like that. It was, it was fun to be able to experiment with, with the sounds and just, you know, have a time to try, you know, unusual, unusual things, follow an idea further than you normally would. Um, it depends on the producer and the artist. Um, but um, yeah, I just wanted that record to go on. I was having a great time and I think it did plant a seed for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking it'd be great to work more with Blake whether it's on my project or on someone else's yeah. music. Yeah, uh, to some degree, when somebody calls you up and they say, I want you to play on my record, they they know what they're asking for because they know your work. Um, but when you walk into a studio, what are the sorts of things that uh, a producer will do that will sort of get your attention? You've worked with, with people in so many so many different contexts. Um, you know, was were, were there... Were there um, ideas specifically that, that Blake was suggesting that, that sort of, um, that sort of excited you or is it, is it also maybe just a person's vibe and a person's sort of, uh, you know, personality that comes through that causes you to want to work more with them and want to develop ideas maybe deeper than you normally would on a sort of, we're here to, we're here to cut this, this bass track and then you're going to go home or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It varies, obviously, from project to project, of course. Um, I, I mean, the most important thing for me is, is establishing some sort of communication as soon as I arrive at a session. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, everyone everyone plays their best um, when they feel comfortable, you know, and I think that's the same for a producer, um, engineer, musicians, whatever. You, you know, you, you, you only really do your best when you relax and you feel like, people there to give you a chance yeah. um, with some stuff. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and it was obvious straight away walking into the session with Blake for John Legend that we were going to have fun, you know, <laughs> just the way everything was set up. Um, and, and as soon as we started recording, we were already experimenting with sounds and different approaches and, um, and Blake came up with some great musical suggestions you know, as he's such an amazing musician on bass, guitar, whatever. Um, it's just communication, I think. That's that's what I look for in the studio. That's the important yeah. thing. And on the flip side of that, yes, you could turn up at some sessions and just get the feeling that you need to get this done. And, then, you know, there's not much you can do maybe to contribute to a song. They just wanted to come in and, and, and really play it well and make it feel good. Um, and that's good too. Sure, you know? yeah. It allows you, I guess, to sort of sharpen and and keep you know keep tight on both sides of that because you know both are required of course um yeah 
something Absolutely. that I I don't know if I'm gonna say it right. Is it is it jer- jerkle the jerkle? How how do you say this yeah. one? Jerkle, jerkle, yeah. jerk. Yeah, yeah. On on jerkle, you guys are are uh, sort of. W- one of the videos you're actually using this one stringed instrument, right? And then, but in the, uh, in, in the actual process of making the record, you were sort of trying to emulate the sound of that with the bass. Is that how it worked? That's almost correct. Yeah. In the video, yeah. we're using a, an Ngoni, yeah. which is, which is a little different than the jerkles, which are really hard to find. Like, I don't, I don't know who's making them. If anybody's making them right now, uh, I think it's a mythical instrument. Did, did really Ali Farcature, he didn't invent it, but he, he references the, the guy who did in this one interview. And he's a musician, and he might be sort of the father of, of that instrument, but it might have been homemade. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, Pino, we, we talk a little bit about the story of that, you know, how you sort of approximated the, the, the sound of the, or the, the playing style of that instrument. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love music from West Africa, and um, you know this this instrument, the jerko, was um, I'd seen it. Um, I saw it in a music video, and I'd also seen it. There's a there's a, a violin version of it called the njaka, I think N J A R K A. The Ali Farka used to play with a pickup on it. Um, it's a great sound. Yeah, um, so I just gave up trying to find one of these instruments and uh, I was messing around with, with my bass guitar. I put a capo on the bass to get in the range of the jerkle. Um, and just, you know, I was just trying to trying to emulate that that sound of that instrument. And um, yeah, and the, and the way it's played with lots of sort of hammer-ons and trills and, and you know, that amazing African sort of flourish that yeah. you get. The musicians in Africa do so naturally. So I was, it was just my little version of that. The, that song is is so incredible, and the way it layers and it feels it feels so intense and and a very it's a very cool feel evoked on that. But I thought about how one of the the commonalities between the two of you as players is that you you Blake you especially have been vocal about this. There's an, a willingness to try to make an instrument sort of sound unlike that instrument. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as a guitarist, you really lean into that. And uh, and Pino, it sounds like you were leaning into that as well in terms of the sort of the physicality of manipulating the the thing. I I just read a great I read a great article this morning about the guitarist Lauren Connors, and uh, and somebody was was saying in this article that I mean he uses like a really cheap uh, Squire mini Strat into just like any amp that he can plug into, but it doesn't matter what he uses; it it sounds like him. Um, and then I, I, I found myself thinking sort of on the inverse of, of, of you guys, where you sound so much like yourselves by almost trying to emulate something else. And I, I just wondered if, if you guys could tell me a little bit about your attraction to that idea of, uh, of sort of taking the instrument out of its natural realm and, and trying to get it into another sort of uncanny space, similar to the way Sam's saxes are on it, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, we have that. We do share that uh, that sensibility, Pino. Although I, I would say I think your job uh, translating, getting the, the bass guitar to translate into other types of instruments is probably a lot harder than getting a guitar 
to emulate other types of instruments, just the physics of, 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 of uh, the register and, and, and the limitations of, of the instruments. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I mean, a big part of that, I think, is, you know, if you play an instrument that, that, that challenges you a little bit physically, it's going to make you sound different and, and you're going to have to pull out more of, of your character that, that, you know, your musical character to, to, to translate mm -hmm. it. So I think that's something that, that's interesting. That's why sometimes I play shitty old basses because, you know, they don't sound great and they, they're not that much fun to play, but they, there's something that, you know, you have to work harder on them, which, which I enjoy. Yeah, you like to challenge. I mean, somebody who's as adroit and skilled as you are, I mean, I love the idea that you have to go find uh, a piece of shit in order to <laughs> put yourself in a in a in a new headspace. Um, but it sounds like, you know, that's something where uh, um, having listened to so many records you've played on and having seen you live and stuff. I mean, the idea that you would still be interested in doing that, that you still want to challenge yourselves and find find yourself in new territory, is is fascinating and and exciting. I mean, that must be part of it for the two of you because there's stuff on this record that doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard from from either of you as well as having that sense of the two of you. Uh, and that's a that's a really exciting thing I must imagine. Well, to build on to build on that yeah. idea of like, you know, having an instrument influence the the your sound. I I think it's it is finding things that that do challenge uh, what maybe comes out of you fr from like a muscle memory standpoint, like it, it causes you to, to, to use your brain a little bit or to use your, your, your hands. But I think what it is, is it's a collaboration between you as the player and the instrument. Um, so you could think of it as, as like another musician there or another, you know, producer or co-writer. It's, it's, you want to find something sometimes that, that is just purely supportive of the thing that's coming out of you naturally. And like, there are instruments that just play effortlessly and they're wonderful. And there are musicians who just intuit, you know, and, and are, are immediately right there with you. And then there are situations where you come across people or instruments or places that don't allow you to do that first thought, best thought thing. But the result of that is, is, uh, sometimes really interesting and there are instruments that are just trash <laughs> you know that that uh, are are unflattering and there are there are combinations of of uh you know people that it, it doesn't add up it doesn't doesn't work so i i think uh both of us are are, are real as, as musicians real sympathetic to the instrument and uh, as listeners we're, we're sometimes we're, we're trying to empathize uh with uh with where somebody else is, is coming from or, or how they're approaching something. And, and we just use our, 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 our taste or our gut to determine like, should we, should we step in and maybe throw a wrench in this for a second and, and <laughs> see if it, it can't be better or should we just like, you know, fall in line and, and, and just sort of serve something that's already there. And, and, uh, and, and that's a choice we, <laughs> we have to, we have to face every time, you know, we're on these sessions with people that we, we, we've never met before. Right. Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would say too about, about this subject is that, you know, there's a, obviously there's a physicality to playing an instrument, 
you know, you strike the string or you hit the piano or whatever it is, you know, that's only a small part of it. It's what is coming from you. It, it's like what you put into that, you know, it comes from within, yeah. doesn't it? That's what gives somebody a sound. Somebody can, you know, there are drummers that can hear a snare drummer and it'll sound like them. So how right. does that work? They're just doing something. So it's obviously there's something that comes out of your personality into the music. And I think that, you know, as Blake said, um, using instruments that are the, that are not that easy to play sometimes. I'm not saying you should do it all the time, but but it can be, it can get have an interesting mm-hmm. result. There are some really interesting moments on this record where fretless instruments are being employed. Obviously, Pino, that's a you know part of your 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 repertoire is you know the the sound of, of your fretless bass. But there's also there. Are, the sitars in in just wrong come to mind as well, you know, where um, first and foremost that immediately throws me back to, of course, the sort of Philadelphia soul thing, which I love, but also specifically uh-huh. uh, um, another life from uh, Black Messiah, the D'Angelo record, which is a record you play on, and they're you know I I've just thought about those those sitars, but it's not always the most common thing in Western music to sort of focus in on those, those sort of micro tonalities, the, the sort of sound between two notes. Uh, is that something that you both find uh, a lot more in, uh, in music from let's say West Africa or, you know, or el- elsewhere in, in the world? And, and, and once you, once you do clue into that, do you actually hear it now, both of you as listeners more commonly in, in, you know, non-global music that's it's such a goofy global music is like a weird a weird term world music any of those things but sure. yeah. i think you're talking about sort of quarter tones that, and stuff right the stuff that is in, yes yeah i mean we're, we're not really when we don't really we didn't really use that on this record really i mean maybe some of the interval choices would give you the feeling the sense of that but we're not really doing that quarter tonal thing and I don't think you really hear that in in uh, in Western music or, or, or most world music. Actually, this um, it takes your ear a while to get mm-hmm. used to that quarter tone thing. Um, but I, I mean, did we use any of that Blake on the record? Even though we're playing fretless instruments, I think it's. I think there's a uh, an innate sort of rhythmic and uh, and like intonational, if that's a word. Uh, personality to, to each musician and when they're on a an instrument that that, that intonation is controlled with breath um, like a like Sam with saxophones or a vocalist you know their intonation can can really easily uh, cross over into that that sort of microtonal thing um, I think all that is coming across uh, when we as as guitar players, Pino and I, when we were playing a fretless instrument, um, some of that intonation, I'll speak for myself, some of that intonation is intentional and most of it is not, <laughs> you know? It's, you well, know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's it's happening, it's there, and sometimes, sometimes it wasn't intended, but then the, ultimately, like, the decision to either take another pass at it or leave it because it... it has a certain thing, a certain character, makes it intentional in the long run. 
Right. The choice, the choice. Yeah, to keep right. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. And I appreciate you guys being willing to suss out my, my, my poorly worded music theory. Uh, talks. Not at all. Um, but oh, I, but okay. I get, I, I think, yeah, I appreciate you guys doing that because it got to what I was, what I was sort of trying to ask about, which is a certain willingness to be a little slippery and maybe imprecise is I guess what I meant. And what's, what's great about it is, is that it feels like it gives the record that much more, uh, spark and, and, and weirdness. And I think the, the weirdness in a, in a good way, you know, there's like an uncanny quality of listening to this record that keeps you almost on the edge of your seat. And that's what I'm hearing so much on the record. And, and Pino, that's also what I hear so much in, in so many of your recordings is this surprising quality where it doesn't go where I thought it was going to go, you know? Um, but it also never feels like you're, uh, you're pushing in those directions simply because you, you can, or you want to throw the listener off, you know, it's like a weirdly generous way of playing music to constant, constantly be surprising your listener. And, and this record, if you would have asked me before I heard it, Hey, Blake Mills and Pino Palladino made a record together. You know, what do you think it sounds like? I, I, I wouldn't have said any of these things, probably. I don't know what I would have said, but but it is such a surprising thing. And and I wonder if at the end of finishing this record, Pino, uh, does this sound uh, to you? Are, are you surprised by the sound of this record? Oh wow, that is an interesting question. Um, yeah, I suppose I am. Yeah, because I never envisaged. I never, I never thought of what it, what it should sound like or shouldn't sound like, or even what it would sound like. It, it just evolved. As I say, I'm a believer in just letting things, um, you know, the path of least resistance sometimes. Um, and, and that's how this record came about. It just felt like a great time to do it. And, and as we worked on it, um, but that's great. I, I'm, thank you for, for saying that. I mean, I'm always searching for stuff when I'm playing and, you know, sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. But I'm always trying to add something um, to songs, whether they're mine or other people's. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I want to ask a couple more things before I let you guys go. I know uh, we don't got much more time, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to be as concise as possible. Uh, um, Pino, there's, a, there's a part in Just Wrong that almost lapses into a a beat that is going to for certainly for for me and i think a lot of other listeners it brings to mind like a jay dilla beat uh or this sort of beautiful sort of uh invocation of or evocation rather of the of the soulquarian stuff that you did um what struck me about that was how it still sounds uh again surprising and and new as someone who's sort of been in in various forms of collaboration with people like Chris for a really long time. Um, I wanted to ask if the, the rhythmic ideas that you learned working uh, sort of in the Soulquarians milieu, um, if those were things that inspired you then and, and sort of continue to, uh, you know, cause you to sort of perk up when you hear something like that, because it's a weird thing to try to fit yourself into rhythm or melodically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, huge, hugely influential for me um, working with those guys back in that era. Yeah, absolutely, and it's still very much a part of my musical DNA, undoubtedly. Um, yeah, Jay Dilla or JD, as we knew him back in the day. I mean, you know, those little 
those little two minute pieces, some of the instrumental stuff we did it. That it's just so fantastic. It's 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 so beautifully arranged. The space is amazing. Um, the sounds, uh, you know, the humor sometimes. I mean, just just brilliant stuff. So I mean, yeah, that very much became a part of my vocabulary. Um, and uh, and Chris, obviously, you know, obviously is very in inspired and influenced by a lot of that stuff too. And I think there are there are times on the album where you hear that that coming through, shining yeah. through. Blake, there's also I think one of the keys to 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 Dilla's stuff is is the human quality of it, even though it's very often sampled and it is you know sort of chopped up in a specific way. There's a there's a weird uh, there's a weird willingness to leave those those little human imperfections in in the mix uh was that some place is was is that something that you you were also familiar i'm curious when 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 pino was playing with you know people like erica badu and d'angelo and stuff what kind of what kind of stuff were you listening to were you were you tied into any of that that at the time yeah i was i was aware of it and familiar with it um but not not in turn i wasn't like steeped in it i'd never played uh, in an outfit that that was heavily influenced by some of the, I guess you would call it like neo soul uh, stuff. Um, so it was it was always something that I I guess I understood as a listener and not as a as a player so much. Um, but yeah. some of the some of the common references maybe like some of the music that that um, I I would presume a lot of the 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 neo soul like well the soulquarians and 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 the roots and those guys like i know uh a lot of the records that i listened to in high school the the, the headhunters and and uh um bitches brew and and some things like there's some maybe some common references that i can i could pull from um yeah to sort of like hang in those conversations for as long as I can. But, but I've done a few gigs with, uh, with Pino and the drum heads and, uh, and I don't know if I've ever played a gig before that I felt like I got my ass kicked as hard as it did in those, <laughs> oh, <laughs> on those, really? those nights. Um, so, so I know that it's not my, it's not where, where I, I approach things from naturally, but I, I, I love it, you know, I, I respect well, it. Well, that's sort of a perfect, a perfect place to end things. Uh, you guys have done some great live, uh, takes of these with, with Sam on YouTube. And I referenced that earlier. Um, do you do you both have a desire to, to kind of like explore these songs in a, in a live setting, uh, in the, uh, I was going to say the near future, the relatively near future, the uncertain future, however you mm -hmm. want to put it. Do you both, yeah. do you both want to get yeah. out and, and do this stuff live? Yeah. 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 I mean, short and long of it is, yeah, as soon as possible. Um, when we did those live videos uh, as the trio, that was the first time we actually had a chance to even reinterpret some of this music in a live sense because it wasn't recorded live, you know, it was layered or sort of written over, over the course of, you know, the two and a half years that we were working on some of this music. Um, so we, we, I think all of us are just itching for the chance to be in a room together to, 
to to figure out the rest of the record you know and then right the natural yeah, evolution once you get on on a tour and you're playing this stuff every night and and where it, where it goes and how it evolves i think is a something we're all eager to to experience well, I have got my fingers crossed for notes with attachments, parentheses, live. Um, I hope that that ends up happening sooner than later. And uh, I could probably uh, bug you guys with uh, a dozen more questions about uh, individual ins and outs, but uh, I'll, I'll let you go. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me about this record and, and really to speak about the the spirit of this record, because coming out of the year that we're coming out of and the sort of the, the, the general bummer and drag of everything, uh, something like this is, uh, it feels like a welcome shift in another direction, you know? Uh, so I appreciate you guys getting this record out, um, and, uh, finishing it up over the, the course of the weirdness and, I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with me about it. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for saying it as much. Yeah, thank you. That makes me happy. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the show. appreciate you tuning in to our strange conversations for these strange times. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton, who is out on vacation this week. Uh, Hope you are enjoying your time off, Andrew. Michael Krasner hopped in to help with the uh, sound levels on this episode. Thanks so much, Kras. You can hear more of our work together every third Sunday of the month on Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard's Range and Basin. Sarah Goldstein does graphic design, as does Jonathan Mark Walls, who prepares video content for our social media platforms and our YouTube page. If you want to support Transmissions, check us out on Patreon or leave us a rating or a review. Share a link. We appreciate it. As always, you can find my contact info over at AquariumDrunkard.com as well if you have an idea that you want to send my way. We'll be back next Wednesday with another all-new episode. I'll be joined by clarinetist and music theorist and all-around incredible conversationalist Angel Bot Dawid next week on the show. So I hope you will tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. Spread the word. Until then, please stay safe, stay cool, and see if you can find some shade. <laughs>